1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 103 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zune, and as well as Stitcher. They're also right on our own Facebook page or Twitter at SWBeyondFilms. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman, and with me like a hydrospanner in the toolkit of any good spacer, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan B. Butler. Ah,
0: so this time I'm a hydrospanner. So basically I'm what Brian Wood keeps throwing into stuff, right?
1: Pretty much, uh, with as much force as he can. (laughs) So, Nathan, how are you doing this uh, this fiestive end of the year?
0: (laughs) I'm uh, doing all right. As of the time we were recording this, we have
1: one more week of school left.
0: Uh, Now, not counting the sheer number of people failing because they simply said, you know what, I know projects are 30% of my grade, but I just don't feel like doing any. Uh, Understand that... In my part of Georgia, I think probably in Georgia in general, if uh, you want to pass, you have to have a 70 or above. There is no such thing as D's in Georgia. Um, Mm -hmm. To say I want to do none of the projects that together are worth 30% of my grade is pretty much saying I want to waste an hour a day every weekday for 18 weeks of my life just because, well, I'm lazy. Uh, So aside from the many frustrations that come always with the end of a semester here, uh, it's going to be nice. Our team... Uh, I, I mentioned here on the show a while ago that we had lost one of our players. One of my former students, DeAndre Terman, during one of the, the preseason games, had, I mean, he just, he did a normal, you know, football tackle, you know, and uh, it, it it had caused a neck injury and he had died. Uh, and since then, the update, I guess, is that the team really pulled together behind our coach. It was his first year as head coach at, at Creekside and kind of pulled together almost like a family. And for the entire season, it was always do it for Deuce. It was always do it for number two, uh, DeAndre, who had passed away. And it it was a spirit that sort of uh, spread across the school in a lot of ways, but especially on the football team. And they went this season completely undefeated. And for the first time for this school, uh, and for only the uh, second time, I think, for a South Fulton County Atlanta area school, uh, made it to the state championship game this past Friday, uh, the the 4A or excuse me, 5A um, championship game it was them versus Tucker, and sure enough, uh, the team that had fought throughout the year in memory of their fallen teammate won the state championship. It was huge, and uh, seeing all but you know maybe a handful of the players on the team being former students of mine, uh, being able to cheer them on and such, that was. It was a heck of an experience. So, yeah, it's the time of year in which a lot of frustration begins for teachers as you realize you're at the point where students have pretty much made their own beds. Now they're going to have to lie in it. Um, but, man, when it comes to just you know the kind of energy that pulls a group together, uh, this was a heck of a weekend um, yeah. for the for the family I, I, of the school.
1: I was watching your Facebook posts. I was like, man, that must be one heck of a game because, I mean, your, your posts were intense. <sighs> we're oh, going- it was
0: it was, oh. it was crazy. I mean, we had – I mean, these were two very, very evenly matched teams that we had. Uh, They they call them Thunder and Lightning, uh, including one of my former students, uh, DJ, who just blew them away. I mean, we—this was not—you know—it wound up being a game where where our team was behind for a little bit and then was ahead uh, for quite a bit of the rest of the game. But it was just sort of a a, okay, okay, you know, normal stuff, normal stuff. Oh, and then he just made a run for like seventy yards or something, kind of stuff, just you know, completely out of nowhere. And I'm not generally a big football. Guy, my high school, uh, Wrights High School up in uh, Evansville, Indiana, was big on on uh, football. Giant, awesome football stadium, the Bowl up there, built along the edge of the Ohio River and everything. But in general, football has just kind of left me cold. I'm much more of an NCAA basketball fan kind of guy, being from Indiana. But but yeah, I mean, it was a it was a great game and very very proud of them. So it's made for a a, a very positive end note for the end of this semester of the school year.
1: Yeah, it definitely seemed like all eyes were on the feeds there for you guys. Because, you know, where I'm from, we have a Civil War game between the uh, Oregon Ducks and the Oregon Beavers. And that game this year was just neck and neck all the way to the end. And the Beavers lost by one point, which usually it kind of seems like wherever the home team's at, they're the one that win. And, of course, they did this time. But it was looking like it may have. All the Twitter feeds and the Facebook feeds were quiet. Normally my friends are always on there talking smack back and forth to each other. Nobody wanted to be the one caught out with the ha ha ha. So everyone was quiet. But yeah, so I was watching your feed was going, I'm like, man, there must be a game over there. Because yeah, normally I don't see you posting about that kind of stuff, you know? You were just in it. I'm like, man, that must be one heck of a game.
0: (laughs) It's more it's much, 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 much more on my end for just being being happy for the students as opposed to Otherwise, I mean, it's just a big deal for them. So uh, definitely a big year for that particular school. Uh, this episode, we're going to figure out whether this was a big year, a good year, or an eh year for Star Wars in comics, it would seem.
1: right here at star wars beyond the films we ask the tough questions questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on you ponder about star wars and so do we this episode we explore the 2013 in review for the comics now consider this your spoiler warning boys girls and sentient of all ages because here we go
0: and again, I've tried to divide these up into uh, categories to make it easier for us to deal with them. We're going to have basically the comics that began earlier than 2013, but storylines that ended in 2013. Uh, the storylines that began and ended in 2013. The storylines that began this year but continue into 2014. Uh, the digests, which are generally you know, thought of as one-shot kind of stories here. Uh, the trade paperbacks, albeit stuff that we've already covered when talking about them. Uh, as individual story arcs and stuff like that, so probably not much to say about those. And then sort of the oddities that are there, like the uh, my comic translated stuff this year. So I guess we start with the stories that began earlier, like in 2012, but ended in 2013. Uh, those would include Purge, The Tyrant's Test, Agent of the Empire, Hard Targets, and Dawn of the Jedi: The Prisoner of Bogan. Uh, Mark, why don't you take these first?
1: Well, you know, these these seem like all right, forays. I mean, each one, you know, we've we've covered each one in their own uh, in previous episodes. If you really want the full gritty, go to those. But purge the tyrant's fist. I I liked how you know when they got to that, it was kind of more of like the perception of what the people of the galaxy were thinking of the Jedi and how they kind of went after the attack of that. You know, how can we make them perceive the Jedi in a new light, no longer the heroes? So that was interesting. That that take. That's what I came away with that one. Whereas agent of the Empire, hard targets. You know, it had that classic james bond feel to it but it also had that uh the uh born supremacy you know the jason Bourne type character where he's kind of like on the run and all that i i like the character in that one the the uh john cross johan cross however we're calling it i think it's john cross but i I like the character i like the way they went with it in fact that one i think the thing i liked the most was the uh the uh, dark skinned bald chick with the high heeled shoes that was running and gallivanting and doing all sorts of stuff in her, her little high heel shoes. I was very impressed with that. I mean, granted it is a cartoon and she's not really running on those high heels, but if she was, kudos, lady, kudos. Mm-hmm. Dawn of the Jedi, the prisoner of Bogan. Uh this one was was interesting, especially considering where they went in the next arc. Like, you know, I mean, the prisoner of Bogan being uh, you know, the main character here, and you're just like, Well, he's not one of the main he's one of the main characters. Uh Dragonlock and his prophecy or the philosophy that went behind his prophecy or whatever. He saw a vision. There's these prophecies that could come about and no one quite believes him at this point. But when we jump an arc forward, the stuff that we see in this one takes a new life. And I like the way that that happened. Like it totally threw me off. Like it's one of those moments where you're like, wait, am I missing a trade here somewhere? Cause they jump a whole year after this one. And it kind of like, when you go back and reread the prisoner Bogan after that jump, you're like, okay, wow, this, this definitely, uh, like, there's, there's more truth to what Dagon Locke is saying, but during this time, when you read it the first time, none of the G died, none of them believe him. Like, he's totally cast out in doubt, and yet, by the time you get to the next arc, you realize that everything he's been saying has pretty much come true, and they've all realized it and been forced to realize it. So, I mean, when it got to the end, it was like a, whoa, things are about to blow up in your face! And then they jump a year forward and you realize that things blew up in the Jedi's face and you're just kind of trying to catch up to where everything went. And I, I thought the Prisoner Bogan did a really good job of setting that forward.
0: Yeah, these were all pretty good. Uh, Purge the Tyrant's Fist, um, that's one I, I, I agree with you. I think it's kind of cool that while we don't see any Jedi characters we wanted to see get killed or ones that we were curious what happened to them. That was something I think the first Purge did really well. You know, bringing in characters we were curious about in terms of whatever might have happened to them as part of the whole wiping out of all of the Jedi, or supposedly all of the Jedi and that type of stuff, like Boltar, Swan Swan. Uh, in this case, we got a story where we didn't really care much for the Jedi. It was cool to see this idea of how the Empire manipulated the population. I mean, not just manipulating them as far as going after the Jedi and being able to get away with it, but also just in terms of trying to destroy the memory of the Jedi and sort of turn people more into pro-Imperial mindsets, because you gotta figure, and it's always been something that kinda kind of caused me to shake my head ever since the dates for the prequels were announced, dates in the universe for the prequels were announced, was this idea that before that we had the sense that the Clone Wars might have been quite a while ago. I mean, at least within the lifetime of one individual like Obi-Wan Kenobi, because of course he fought in it, but the idea that the Clone Wars only ended 19 years prior to A New Hope was something kind of shocking, that we thought that there were certainly you know, at least a little bit more in terms of decades since the Clone Wars. So how on earth would it be that the knowledge of the Jedi and what they stood for and who they were and everything would fade from the galaxy to the point where they were almost just myth Mm -hmm. in less than twenty years? And here we sort of get a decent explanation as to how they might have been able to manipulate people to make that happen. I still don't think it's entirely believable that within the span of nineteen years, the Jedi basically, you know, by many are thought to have never existed at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just you know, the, the links to which they would go to manipulate a population by, in some cases, just doing good things for them, but doing it in such a way that it covered up the history of the Jedi with the planet and such, I think that was a pretty uh, nice way to go about that. It makes for a nice ending if this is the end for us of seeing any Purge comics, which at this point I don't think they've ever announced any other ones, but they tend on that one to just kind of announce one-shots or, or two-issue story arcs every now and then out of nowhere – without really giving us a sense of whether it's ever going to continue. They just do it when they feel like it.
1: Real quick, that, that 19 years that you talk about, that's always been something that has bothered me. I Something I liked about what Karen Travis did was kind of start to give you points of view from other people in the galaxy and started to paint the Jedi in a negative light. Granted, not everyone enjoyed that, but but that 19 years, that's the critical 19 years because everyone forgets about the Jedi. And if they were really the great heroes that we readers know of, I, I truly doubt 19 years would be long enough for everyone to be like, uh, what's a Jedi again? Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. That they, they really need to add more to that point of, you know, how to tear down the order of the Jedi in the galactic eye. This did a good job of setting it up, but by far has a long way to go to making it seem real reasonable.
0: Yeah, for over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old republic before the dark times, before the empire, which managed to wipe out that thousand generations worth of knowledge in the span of less than two decades. Um, yeah, that just, that always felt like it should have a gravitas of the empire being around for longer than just the last 19 years. Um, but I guess if, if that's, if it's going to put Vader into the mix and have, uh, Luke, and Leia being born around the time that the Empire is being born, then given the ages of Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher, there wasn't a whole lot that they could do with that. Uh, That, or Lucas just changed his mind, and he was going to have them fudge it one way or the other. Um, Age of the Empire hard targets. I really like Jahan Cross and the idea of sort of the James Bond in the Star Wars Galaxy. I like the way this one played out a little bit more than the end of the previous one. Uh, I think it made for a good character building for him, and I would be very excited to see more. But apparently, and I didn't realize this, um, because I generally don't listen to or visit theforce.net much. There's there's very many issues dealing with uh, the way I've seen and heard about the Forcecast dealing with other podcasts and, and that sort of thing. Well, I guess they're now Rebel Force Radio or whatever. Um, and the, the EU hating and all that kind of stuff. I finally just you know said, you know what? I don't need to read it. I don't need to visit the site. I'm not going to bother with it. There are some great people that have been over there in the past. Chris McElroy, uh, Chris Hannell, Michael Potts, uh, now Rob Mullen of the, uh, Star Wars Expanded Universe Chronology that I hosted alongside my Star Wars Timeline Gold for a while is now over at theforce.net. Um, it's not try- not to paint everybody with, with a bad brush, but I've had enough negative experiences that I finally just said, you know what, I don't care. So I never listened to the Forcecast, but apparently back in April there was an interview in which Randy Stradley of Dark Horse said, or announced, if you want to put it that way, that Agent of the Empire is done. That there are no more future story arcs of Agent, Agent of the Empire being planned at this point. And that is a massive shame. Agent of the Empire was one of the more promising series that they put out. And again, Agent of the Empire's gone. Freaking Dark Times just keeps on going. Um, let's cancel something that's good and keep the suck going. Um, the stuff that, of course, is being written by the guy who's the main editor of the line, which may explain why Dark Times, as I said, still exists, whereas other series have not. I don't know how much that plays into it, but there certainly is that sense behind it because, you know, I've, I've found very few people who are massive Dark Times fans who can, who speak particularly fond of it and negative of the others. Anyway, so I to say, Age of the Empire's solid this year, but apparently it's gone. Was that a satisfactory conclusion? No. But at least we gave us at least it gave us a good solid arc without a lot of cliffhangers left the way that we got with Invasion, uh, Dawn of the Jedi, Prisoner of Bogan. Basically, the middle arc of the arcs we got now. Again, I went into the whole continuity and chronology thing back in the previous episode when we talked about the books. But suffice to say, uh, despite what you will find uh, in some fan sites and such, and you will find uh, in the opening chronology pages of the, uh, Into the Void novel. Remember, Leland Chi has confirmed, uh, he and I've had this conversation. He has confirmed to me multiple times now that, uh, Force Storm and this story, The Prisoner of Balgan, take place not in 25,793 BBY, but in 25,783 BBY, making a Force War take place the year later in 25,782 BBY. There is a decade difference. Basically, thanks to Tim Levon apparently not being able to get his dates right in some of the journal entries he attributes to Dalian Brock with dates, TYA, your arrival dates in Into the Void. Um, uh, overall, this was sort of that necessary backstory, you know? The first one gave us, uh, Forest Storm gave us the backstory of the Jedi and Tython and everything, and then this one gives the backstory of the, the prophecy of why, uh, Dalian Loke, or Dagon Loke was the Prisoner of Bogan brings Zesh into the mix so that Zesh can then bring the Force Sabers into the mix and so on and so on. Um, but it, it really feels now like things really zipped forward almost too fast. Yeah. Um, we now have Force War set a year later, and it was as if, and I know that the whole idea was that this was to build up to the Force War and finally show that event that's been alluded to in other sources. Mm. But you know, if this was some backstory and the previous arc was backstory, it was all kind of world-building with some character building involved in it, and now we're just, we're into the fray. It might have been nice to have another arc in between to give us the next step, although there is something to be said by the whole, you know, Star Wars approach of, you know, jumping in in media res, where we're basically, we're already in the action, and now we're trying to catch up on, gee, what the heck just happened? You know, where are we? Because that's what A New Hope did. I mean, that's that's what the Star Wars films do, uh, minus, to a degree, Episode One saying, hey, Here's the situation already in progress. Let's give you a quick opening crawl to catch you up and let's go. Um, a great series overall. Um, I, I wish they would fix the chronology issues in the front cover pages, but hopefully they're going to be doing that now that Leal and Chi and Jan Dersama are both on it. But um, yeah, a, a another good story. I did find it a little bit tough to, to follow a couple of points. I had to go back and reread it all at once because I was reading them immediately as they came out. But uh, certainly adds depth and gives us more background to really be able to enjoy Force War now that it's coming out.
1: You know, I will say one thing I really enjoyed, though, was the way the vision, when they went down into that pit, the chasm, it was Dagon Locke and Hawk Rao. And when they go down in, they each have a vision, and Dragon sees himself leading the Jedi, and Hawk sees Zesh. And... At the time, I thought, ooh, maybe one of them was right and one was wrong, but now when we get the leap forward, you realize they were both right, and I, I thought that was an interesting twist, because all the way up until the third arc start, I thought for sure one of them was wrong, and that was going to be the heart of the issue, was who is the real leader going to be, and then we find out that they're both leading, it's like, oh, wow, okay, I, I'm definitely, they got me hooked, I mean... I want more all the way around, but I want to see where we're going, especially. But yeah, now that we've jumped a year in the head, I want to go back a little too. So to me, that that's good storytelling in, in its own because it leaves the reader wanting more. And in this case, I feel like I'm getting enough that I'm satisfied with what I got, but I'm still craving, which is good. It, it, it sucks when you don't get what you want and you just want more. You're like, wait, that that wasn't satisfactory at all. I'm looking at you, Invasion.
0: That brings us to the stories that began and ended in 2013. We have two different stories coming from dark times. We have Fire Carrier and we have A Spark Remains. Now, at this point, I have not yet read the final issue of A Spark Remains. I'm not even sure if it's out yet. It certainly hasn't arrived for me yet. Um, We also have Star Wars Volume 2, its beginnings, uh, with its first two arcs in the shadow of Yavin and what is now called From the Ruins of Alderaan instead of Prisoners of the Empire. They seem to have changed that around. Uh, We also have Legacy Volume 2, Prisoner of the Floating World and Outcasts of the Broken Ring. Uh, At this point, the last of those, again, either isn't out yet or just hasn't arrived for me yet, so can't necessarily speak to the end of that. We're recording this on uh, December 15th at this point. Uh, My six-month anniversary, by the way. Um, And Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, which is the third of what is apparently going to be at least four story arcs focusing on Vader, um, with the last one being the whole ghost prison tale. And I gotta say, um, this is the most disappointing batch of all the different stories that we're looking at this time around, all the different categories of stories. Uh, this really was, in some cases, good, but not as good as what bore its name before, in other cases, really, really bad, in some cases, migraine inducing on the continuity this quartet is somewhat of a rough group
1: hit or miss is how i see it i mean you know you go into this and i I know you're not a fan of dark times for me this was the one fire carrier especially was the one arc i was actually looking forward to it's uh kakruk he's got the padawans and it gives enough of a resolution as to where he went that they could write him out and never do another Kukruk story, and I would be somewhat okay with that. I, I still want to know about when he joins up with Luke. That I would love to see someday, whether it be in comic or be in book form. That would be awesome to have that tie. Beyond that, his disappearance and then him showing back up to Luke and stuff. Now we're at a point where that's all been shown. I'm okay with that. I like the way it rolled out. Uh, I, I like, you know, Kukruk's character, so I like that progression for him. Uh, when you get to Spark Remains, I thought it was an interesting twist. I did not see uh the uh, one Jedi there being the uh, turncoat that he turned out to be. Uh, I too haven't read the last issue of that one yet, but it's it's got me interested. I want to know where it goes, and I'm curious to know, you know, are we gonna go farther beyond that, or is Dark Times finally done? Um, when you get to Star Wars Volume Two, that one I'm I'm back and forth. I really like the art, but there you know I, I recognize that not all the characters look like themselves especially the big 3 but i'm not i'm not thrown off by this like i'm i'm able to roll with that like i i get this new han i get the new luke i get the new leia i'm enjoying it for what it is the arts the one thing that really makes me you know happy about the series beyond that though it's all that aspect of not playing well with others that, that just grates on me it's it's not that it's terrible it's just that I, I just I feel like there's very little effort coming from Woods like he got the green light to say how ah, to heck with continuity and he's just going for it like what else can I think of today and that side of things leaves me frustrated I think that frustration leads me to the negative feeling I have for that series I mean the art wise I really like the art but a lot of the, the plots and stuff that are going on feel so rehashed. Like you feel like there's the, uh, Baron fell plot going on with the rogue squadron and everything and him coming across. And now you've got the, uh, Prince Isildur and, and, and princess Leia going over to hapes. And I, I don't know, it just seems like a lot of plots that are just being redone and a lot of, of retreading on things for no apparent reason whatsoever. And, you know, as, as on our Facebook, you know, we've had a uh, comments about what was going on with, uh, Rebels and with the Force Unleashed and you know, it, it's, it's the same status quo, but I just, I'm so sick of the let's fix it after we break it approach. That is what I call the Lucas model, you know, and, and, and I feel like that model gets approval because we like Star Wars and Lucas gave us Star Wars. So we should be okay with the broken model because Star Wars is awesome and therefore everything else should be awesome too. And I'm not okay with that. I, you know, like I want either the clear divide or whatever, but, but this series. To me, I really think it could be so much more if they were to flat out say, this is the new Star Wars EU. From here on out, you know, everything you knew before is going to probably get rehashed, revived or whatever. You know, I look at the Star Trek Into Darkness. I'm okay with them rehashing new plots. Why? Because it's an alternate universe. Okay, I'm cool with that. That's what I'm expecting. They're not telling me this is an alternate universe. This is t- they're telling me this is the one continuity of Star Wars. And yet it is constantly conflicting with other things. That approach is broken. That leaves the foul taste in my mouth. If they were to make the clean break, I would be totally ecstatic with this series. I'd be loving what they're doing with Princess Leia. I have always wanted to see Leia do a lot more things earlier than what she did. She did not do the things that I wanted until the New Jedi Order. She finally put down the politics and picked up the lightsaber. Come new Jedi Order. And from there on, that character, Princess Leia, Princess Leia Solo, Jedi Solo, I love that character. But now you're putting things into the conflict with that character. And I want to see that that character of Leia as this all badassery that we're getting. But I want it to also make sense with everything I've read before. And this isn't making sense unless you make that clean cut divide. And that I, I just keep coming back to that. And, and Issues and series like this bring that point flat out to me, just slap me in the face over and over again. And it's just like, I just bang my head on a desk because I, I, I love Lucas. I love star Wars, but I hate a broken system and fixing things after it's broke. When, when you didn't have to break it in the first place, drives me up a wall.
0: Yeah. You know, dark times. I, I would like to say that it is rounding out. Uh, it's finally getting to the point where there's some payoff to these stories that have been gone going on for a while. Uh, but man, I mean, just it took us long enough to get here. And at this point, I am so down on the series and so tired of this series that it really doesn't matter how awesome the climax is. I'm still not going to enjoy it as much as I should have because of the slog it's taken us to get here. Um Fire Carrier at least gave us a somewhat satisfactory conclusion to Kakrook's arc. But it's an arc that kind of always felt like it was shoehorned in there anyway. I mean, we've got the, the Das Janeer and the crew of the Uhumele, or the unpronounceable ship, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and their adventures were essentially the heart of this series. Even when they were separated out and eventually got brought back together, they were still the heart of the series. And it was like, oh yeah, K'Kruk's still out there. Let's give him an arc here, and let's give him an arc over here. And it was like they never really got a chance to give K'Kruk his due, which is fine by me because I'm not much of a Crook fan. Um, but it's always felt like his story arc was just sort of shoehorned into this series. Uh, and again, that seems to have happened here. We've got, uh, the end of his tale. We got a cool little, you know, and this is how it all turned out kind of thing at the end that jumps some time. That works. But, you know, it just, it, it always felt like it was the odd man out when it comes to this series. Uh, A Spark Remains. It's going. You know. It'll be interesting to see how everything turns out. Finally, it's like everything has finally come back together. Even, uh, hudora being back and everything. But, you know, I'm hoping this'll be the final big kaboom. No pun intended, because there's a lot of explosions in those last couple episodes, or last couple issues. Um, but hopefully this'll be the last explosive end, and that's the finale. It's all done. Though I'm pretty sure I've read something somewhere where Stradley or someone has talked about there being at least another arc after A Spark Remains is over with. Um, I don't know, it's good. I do like the fact that we got that holy crap moment where Sadit winds up being the traitor and winds up uh, actually working for Palpatine and we see the quick battle and he winds up uh, taking Mezgraf's hand and killing another member of the crew and everything. That was kind of an unexpected moment. But they had to presage that moment with, yeah, he's not who he says he is. And then one of Sadeet's wings falls off. And it was supposed to be one of those things like, this is just a natural thing that happens sometimes for his species, but at that moment, wouldn't it be very fitting and very poetic for it to fall off right at that moment? But that's not what it felt like. It felt like we were supposed to believe that this was like a disguise or something, and yeah. the wing just happened to fall off at that moment. There was a lot of confusion about just what in the hell was happening with Sadit when the wing fell off. That was not a well-played metaphorical moment. Instead, it was something that absolutely fell flat. Um Again, it's better than a lot of the previous arcs because we're finally getting some culmination, but that is, as I've said, as I have borrowed from Dennis Miller over the years, that's like being valedictorian of summer school. The best of a substandard series. As for Star Wars Volume 2 by Brian Wood, that just... I, I, I think you're right. I think that if this was a clean break, if this was meant to be a reboot, a new continuity, I'd be loving it. Not a big fan of Ryan Kelly's filler art for three issues, but Carlos Anda's art is outstanding. I really like his artwork, um, and I like the concepts that they're bringing us. It's just that it clashes over and over and over again with stuff we already have. No, that's not how Rogue Squadron originally got formed. No, the Executor is not supposed to be ready and in an operation at this point. No, it's not supposed to be that situation over there on Indoor. And over and over and over. Not to mention, we've got the whole issue of during the first two arcs in the Shadow of Yavin and from the Ruins of Alderaan, not only are we getting oddball things thrown in like, hey, by the way, this guy, he's also yet another person who to put together the Death Star. We're getting this storyline of Han and Chewie and Perla that seems to be taking the span of maybe a matter of a few hours at best for much of its arc, and yet it's taking days and weeks and such of time for what's happening with the other characters. For them all to finally dovetail here at the end of the 12th issue, where, oh, here's Han and Perla and them back with the Rebel fleet. I can only hope that we were meant to kind of have sort of a courtship of Princess Leia thing going on here. We followed the two story arcs, and they intercut back and forth, but they weren't meant to be intercutting time-wise back and forth. And it just took a while for Han to finally get back to the Rebel fleet, hence them still being able to come together at the end. Um, That was something that I ran into with Courtship of Princess Leia when we were putting together the Hunt for Zinj map for the Essential Atlas and all the dates and stuff for that. That a big part of that story, you know, you see Han and Leia crash down on Dathomir, and then you see a whole long story of Luke on his way to Dathomir only to wind up arriving. Turns out, right as the Falcon is crashing, which we had already seen several chapters ago. Um, I don't know. I really like the artwork. I think that, again, like I said, the story would be compelling if it were not for the constant clashes. If I wasn't walking into every issue of this series cringing, bracing myself for what they were going to break continuity-wise in this issue, I could really enjoy it. Um, Rob Mullen... The guy behind the, the Star Wars Hispanic Universe chronology that, uh, I, like I said, I think's over at the Force.net now, which was on, uh, my website with the Star Wars Timeline Gold for a while and all. Um, Rob had an interesting comment on our Facebook page in which he said, is either our Facebook page or it was the, the one for the timeline. But he basically said that it, he thinks, uh, he assumes that probably what had happened was that this really was marketed as a reboot. This really was something where they gave Brian Wood the thumbs up to do a new series completely free of previous continuity as sort of a new timeline of sorts. But that fan reaction, ours presumably included, just the people out there saying, whoa, 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 what the hell are you doing? Without them actually saying it was a reboot, them phrasing it in a way that sounded like a reboot, that also at the same time sounded like it was saying screw continuity, without actually simply declaring this is an alternate timeline, caused Dark Horse to freak out from the fan backlash and said, okay, now we're going to have to find a way to fit it all in. And I'm hoping that's the case. The fact that there really isn't any answers forthcoming that uh, Leland Chi can provide at this time about this series, um, I'm hoping that means that there is a plan that just hasn't been spelled out as opposed to it being just him throwing up his hands and saying, I can't talk about it because I don't know what the hell they're doing. Um, I, I, that gives me hope that maybe this will be eventually declared, oh yeah, by the way, this really was a new continuity being formed here. This was the ground floor of that. You just didn't know it as opposed to having to find a way to shoehorn it in, because it is an absolute mess the way that this series would have to fit in with anything else. Um, Although, hey, thank goodness for issue number 12, we finally get a first name for Bircher, mm-hmm. only to wind up finding out that Bercher somehow was an Alliance sleeper agent um, inside, uh, under deep cover in the Empire, who winds up managing to get control of the Devastator? And every time they went out flying, I'm going to have to go back and see what kind of injuries and, and deaths, if any, the Rebels took. Because every time they're flying, his thumbs on a kill switch to do like he does in issue number 12, and basically shut down all the other TIE fighters and um, supposedly defect, but basically go back to the Rebel Alliance, and oh yeah, here's a, a a nephew who's a major Rebel figure of Mond Mothma's that we've never heard of, who at one point makes a comment that sure makes it sound like he's flirting with his own aunt. That's a little creepy. Uh, I'm waiting, I'm waiting (laughs) to see them do something to make this right, to make these stories stand on their own as solid Star Wars stories, and yet make it right, so that these are not massive nukes being thrown into the continuity, for them to say, oh, those weren't actually nukes, they were just flashbangs, it was a distraction, this really is separate somehow.
1: See, that kill switch scene never made sense to me. Can you explain that? Like, was he... Because it, it seemed like he had said, well, like, I was a good guy because I had my finger on this kill switch the whole time. And I'm like, well, what does that do? But you never actually pushed the kill switch, so what does it matter? That whole scene was completely lost on me. I didn't understand the purpose of it or the point or why all of a it's, sudden it's, what he, it's it, like, oh, it's that's It's what so he fair.
0: did when he came over, right? You know, he They're out there in the middle of it, and he just flips the kill switch that basically keeps the Imperials from being able to attack, which is what allows him to go over to home one and everything. And he uses it in issue number 11. Uh, but then he talks about how, you know, his finger was always on it in issue number 12. I guess it would also it's- explain why Bercher, as the person commanding the Devastator, was constantly wanting to be out there in an actual starfighter yeah. amongst the battle, because that would give him the ability to do the kill switch thing, and if ever finding himself in a position where it makes sense for him to finally go back to the Rebel Alliance, that he'd be able to do so. But, but yeah, it, it's. It's kind of convoluted, I think it works, but again, it only works if this is a separate timeline. Otherwise, what they've just done is told what should be an intriguing story, but it's like, what's the best way to put it? It's kind of like a porcupine. It might look all cute and cuddly, but the spikes that it has, the quills, make it less so, make it more harmful than you would want to necessarily have as a pet. Uh, Declaw this thing, take the quills away, Say it's a separate continuity, and we can enjoy this big time. Uh, but it's just, it's it's not happening yet. And I don't foresee it happening at this point. Uh, there are two arcs in already, talking about what's coming for the next couple of arcs. And uh, Rogarin, the the guy that supposedly helped design the Death Star Super Laser and whatnot, uh, the resolution of his story supposedly being something we're going to see within the next couple of arcs and everything, is just, you know... It, Yes, plan ahead and such and tell us what's coming, but please, at some point, separate this thing out. Especially if that was the original intention. Don't go all, you know, timid on us now. Don't say, well, uh, uh, uh no, it was never meant to be a reboot, because all you're doing is making a bigger problem. If this was meant to be a reboot, step up and say, this is actually a separate thing, a separate continuity. You know, we love the Infinity stuff. Why not be honest about it, if that was the original case?
1: Yeah, that, that's what I keep going back to. It's like, I would be enjoying this and books like uh, Razor's Edge a heck of a lot more. If I knew it was a flat-out new, it wasn't going to contradict because there's nothing to contradict with it. We are in a new universe. Everything is good to go. We are full bore, head away. I mean, that was my thing with with, with this Kill Switch because it was like Wedge was like, oh, well, that's good enough for me. And I'm like, what? Like, that's not the Wedge I know. Like, Wedge would have been asking more questions. Like, he wouldn't just dropped it like that. So... Yeah, I go back and forth on that, you know, and, and like our Facebook page, you know, that post immediately blew up real fast, but I think the system's broken. The way we define things is broken. It's time for like what they did in 97 to do a clean cut, redefine things and say, from this point forward, we're going ahead. I mean, we can do that with the retcon system. The Lucas model, what happens today, it stands. Why can't we do that with all the continuity at once? Now, moving into Legacy Volume 2, uh, Prisoner of the Floating World, Outcast of the Broken Ring. You know, we've been a little critical on the darkness of the art, but that aside, I'm actually really enjoying where we're going. It's getting a lot better, and I still want to know more about the Sith angle. Uh, the recent one that I, I was reading, uh, they're on Dac and they're down in the in the bowels. I haven't, I've just gone through the art section. I haven't gone back and reread it yet. Uh, you know, I always like flipping through and just checking out my art and stuff, and, and it looks really cool. I, I'm enjoying where the characters are going. They're kind of all getting back together and stuff. But the, the grittiness of this, I'm actually, I'm, I'm coming around to it you know I, I didn't like it at first it, it reminded me too much of the negative aspects of what I didn't like about Dark Empire uh, which is another series I like but the art just was one of those things that rubbed me raw. and if I can get over that I actually enjoy this series I don't think we're ever going to get the resolution I'm hoping for when it comes to the Mandalorian arc what's going on with Hondo Carr uh, he's out trying to, to take out the Mandalore and fix things there Uh, And that worries me because, you know, you never know what's going to happen later on if we're ever going to see that arc come out. And this would be the prime time to wrap that up somehow. But story wise, I don't really see a way that they could tie that in without it feeling forced. And I'd rather them not force it. Just leave it open in that case. But overall, it's a pretty good series. I'm actually enjoying the character of Anya Solo. Uh, I'm looking forward to this old flame of hers and how that's all going to play into things. I still want to know more about how she got so far away from the family and where the rest of her family is. I mean, her situation is unique in that regard. I mean, even even Cade Skywalker kind of gets like, oh, you got family over in the apes sector you could go and visit. I mean, you know, Anya doesn't seem to have any of that. And I'm I'm kind of actually looking forward to seeing her run into Cade, and maybe, uh, you know, Gunner. Uh, you know, I'd like to see some of those kind of crossovers with family that maybe she may or may not know. I don't know, so I would love to see that happen.
0: Yeah, so far, I mean, it's it's not living up yet. It's not living up to Legacy Volume 1. Um, it's a very different type of story, uh, a much less epic in scale type of story. Um, Anya Solo is growing on me, uh, as are the other characters of the series, but it's really going to need a few more arcs which thankfully it seems like it's getting, it does have a third arc already uh, announced without a title, uh, it's going to take a little while for it to really grow on me, uh, story-wise. I don't think the artwork will ever grow on me. Uh, Brian Theiss uh, in the second arc and Gabriel Hardman in the first. Uh, the artwork in this, I mean, uh, it's not even just the fact that it is so dark. We went into detail with it when we did our Prisoner of the Floating World discussion. Um, there are places where the art just makes no sense, In what we're seeing. You know, I'm going to cut the droid in half at this point. But then when you see him next, it's going to be a completely different slash point and a different part of his body separated from another different part of his body and such. Um, It just, the artwork absolutely does not work for me in Legacy Volume 2. The story is getting there. I wasn't really sure what to expect. I'm hoping it will become something of a quality level and a butt-kicking action-adventure level enough to justify its existence, because it's the same thing to me as what happened with Babylon 5, right? Babylon 5 had a great wrap-up of Season 4. TNT picked it up, did some TV movies that tied into it that were pretty good, and gave it a Season 5. And Season 5 gave it a nice wrap-up, but at the same time, it wasn't the wham-bam, huge, big finale like we got in Season 4, because J. Michael Straczynski, had, when he thought he was going to be uh, cut short at the end of Season 4, crammed a lot of stuff that would have been in Season 5 into Season 4 but at least that series got its beginning, middle, and end. But then they tried to continue it. They did Crusade, which got basically half a season, got tinkered by t- with by TNT, and then was dumped. Uh, then they tried Legend of the Rangers with the uh, uh, the guy that played the young version of Captain Power, who is now the guy trying to get to the submarine and the serum and stuff on Arrow. Um, and it died. And they tried the direct-to-video thing, uh, Voices in the Dark and whatnot, and then that concept died. Um, you basically had a series whose legacy was tarnished, in a sense, by having these continuations that never really went anywhere. They were intriguing in their own right, but never really went anywhere, so they always feel like these unfinished strands coming off of that storyline. To a lot of people, that's what happened with Star Wars when the prequels came around. Star Wars, the classic trilogy, was awesome, but now it's felt more like a film series than a cultural phenomenon because so many people didn't like or bashed uh, the prequels and such. I wanna see Legacy Volume 2 feel like a solid enough continuation off of Legacy Volume 1 and off of the saga in general, that if that is the farthest into the future that we go, that we feel like, yes, this was worthwhile rather than thinking, man, boy, I wish it would have ended with the awesome impact of Legacy War. Boy, wouldn't that have been great. Let's make this one for the record
1: books. I just want to comment real quick about what you said about the Babylon 5. I when I suggested to people, I'm like, only watch seasons one through four. Everything else is just like, yeah, you don't really need to see that. You'll have a much happier time if you just pretend that doesn't exist. And that that that's yeah, that's exactly Legacy War ended in such a great end. The only thing I wanted to know more about was the Mandalorian arc. That was that was I was just like, oh, we're gonna get more legacy at some point because they gotta they gotta touch on that. And then they didn't even go that route. I was kinda like, wait, what? But then to find out this isn't John and Jan anymore, this is some new team, you know, you had to see where it was going. But, yeah, I get where you're coming from with that.
0: That, of course, gives us the last one that began and ended in 2013, which is Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin. We spent a lot of time talking about Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin. Um, I've liked the Darth Vader series in general, uh, especially Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison. But those are ones uh, I believe was Hayden Blackman doing them at that time. And now we've got this one by Tim Seidel. Uh, his first comic and his first Star Wars comic, apparently a very divisive series, really thought it had some potential with its first issue and kind of the weird approach that it took, absolutely did not wind up working out for me. There are so many things about it that just felt like, what? Huh? Um, but, you know, I think we have pretty much said our piece on that one. What gets me about it, is that Tim Seidel is also behind the next Darth Vader arc, uh, which will be able to touch on. Darth Vader and the Cry of Shadows. But, uh, that'll wait until our next category here. Uh, any thoughts you want to add on Ninth Assassin?
1: Well, with Ninth Assassin, you know, our episodes, they pretty much speak for themselves. The only thing I would say is if you're going to be getting this one, wait till it comes out in Omnibus or trade. Wait till you're getting that as an addition to other stories that you're paying for. Because for me, I did not, I did not enjoy the ending. I like the potential, but the ending didn't provide for me. Um, so that would be my suggestion is at least get stuff where you feel like you're getting this one for free.
0: <laughs> ah, so you can't argue with free. Um, all right, that brings us into stories that began this year and continue into 2014, but that does mean we're talking about stories where we haven't really seen much, if anything, yet. Uh, one of those is Darth Vader and the Cry of Shadows by Tim Seidel. Uh, this is a story that actually doesn't get its first issue until three days after we're recording this episode. So we really can't speak about Darth Vader and the Cry of Shadows. Suffice to say, the Darth Vader line is continuing. Uh, the two that have begun already, we have had a chance to check out, is Dawn of the Jedi Force War, which has one issue out at the point that we're recording this, and The Star Wars, which is about uh, halfway through at this point, based on the early, early, early draft script uh, by George Lucas of what would eventually become A New Hope. Uh, Dawn of the Jedi Force War, gotta say, a little bit weird that it jumped a year ahead in time. I like the conflict that we are seeing there. I mean, I was excited just to find how Rajivari fits in with this, and how we finally got some background on the Flesh Eaters. Because these are elements that we get in the Old Republic MMO that didn't seem to have much in the way of explanation. We're like, well, where are the Flesh Eaters on Tython? They're supposed to be in it, according to the game. Well, it turns out they are sort of a, a tweaked, lower-cast, uh, Rakatan foot-soldier being-type things. Uh, and then we've got Rajivari, who we saw back in Force Storm briefly. Uh, the one who supposedly is one who kind of falls to the dark side and has a lot of, of an impact on the Force War and such, you know, now we're finding that he is one in command uh, of one part of the way that the fight is being carried out, and then we've got, uh, to flip that around, you got the whole issue there with uh, Dagan Loke doing part of it. The only thing that really got me about it that had me kind of shaking my head was the idea that after a year has gone by, there's still that whole issue of the other Force Hound. Uh, mm. What is her name? I forget. It's It's escaping me Trill. right now. Trill. Trill, yeah. There's a the whole issue of Trill and like... You know, uh, well, you can't have known her before. She's from here, talking about one of the places where they are that they're fighting. And it's just like, after a year, that's a heck of a cover story <laughs> for her to still be carrying and for that, that whole question to still be lingering there and seemingly coming between uh, Zesh and Shay. So it seems like, in one sense, there are some things that uh, don't seem to have developed as much within a year as you would have expected, but now we are getting, you know, kind of the wham-bam, huge conflict that will be able to be taken care of in many ways within just a handful of issues. But certainly it brings up, uh, it creates an opening for more future tales, whether comics or short stories, novels, whatever, that could, of course, fill in the gap between Prisoner of Bogan and Force War. But this is a conflict we've been waiting for that is supposed to last approximately a decade. And yes, in talking with Jan Dersima about the whole Force War thing and the dates of the comics and such, she did reiterate that fact that just like it said on the timeline for the Old Republic's website, which granted isn't giving us apparently the right date for the Force War, it's a decade off based again on the way that the, the dates for Dawn of the Jedi got tweaked and whatnot, but she does reiterate the fact that apparently the Force War is supposed to be a decade long conflict. So I'm wondering if maybe we're gonna see another jump in time partway through this, or if a follow up arc of dawn of the jedi after this is going to continue the force war forward we may not be seeing the end of the force war in this arc which you know intrigues me to a degree
1: i would hope to god that we we get more because yeah if it's a 10-year war i would really be upset if they shoved it all into one arc we like wait what uh right now it feels kind of like uh knight errant uh when the comic kind of did its uh little jump forward you know it, it's got its own thing going on and it feels like you know you've got a backstory with everything before it but it also feels new because it jumped forward a whole year it's like you have an idea of what's going on but like with trill it's like when they mentioned that that she was you know she's always been here i was like wait what how did she fool them into thinking that like so there's aspects of it that i'm like waiting for the next issues to see if they go back to that because it seems like there's a plan here and anytime john and jan get together i i you know I don't worry as much. You know, there's certain people that get involved in the storytelling and you know that they're going to do what they can to make sure that everything within continuity stays legit. And, and again, with the continuity that I'm talking about here is the C level continuity, because that's the one that that incorporates most of everything out there. Star Wars. And when you get authors at work in that regard, you don't worry about, Oh, what's Brian Wood going to do now? You know, I mean, John and Jan have, have always managed to impress me. And so far I'm enjoying the ride and, and the aspect of, like I said, Seeing that Zesh and Daganlock are both leading, I, I, I was interested. And I saw one of the uh, the little promos for one of the next ones, and it looks like Zesh may end up switching back to the Rekhatan side. And I'm curious as heck to see what that's all about. Uh, you know, the, the Force War is definitely something that I've been curious about for a long time. I don't have much details on it, but it's always been something that you've heard about. And so to see it coming and to find out that it's a decade-long battle, that that excites me, I would hope, I would really 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 hope they treat the Force War like Dark Horse did the Clone Wars and give us like 9 or 10 volumes worth of trade paperbacks. That would just be glorious. But in this this Disney buy, bought out Star Wars franchise we're living in, you know, there's that hesitancy of well, they'll probably not commit to Dark Horse for that long and then there's that other camp that well, they will. And so that unsure feeling leaves me like, man, I hope I would love to see them do something like that, but I I'm doubtful. You know, I I really don't think they would go that route and do 10 whole trades, but man, could you just imagine though? I mean, I mean think about that the Clone Wars didn't even last a decade and how many trades they dedicated to that. Could you just see a Force War just d- d- sprawl out the 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 length of the growth that this era of the saga would get if they did that? I mean, right now it's just like a, a rock in the pond, but if you would actually flesh out the Force War and make it a 10 volume trade, you would have a significant era here to play with.
0: And speaking of playing with some unusual content here, uh, we also have The Star Wars. And this was one, I mean, this has gotten a lot of attention. Uh, I do want to deal with one thing as far as Star Wars comics goes, we get towards the end of this as far as variant covers and whatnot. Uh, so I won't deal with that right now. Um, but if I say it is another one of these huge, huge event type of storylines, And what we've got here is basically a comic book that is eight issues more than most miniseries wind up getting that is an adaptation of George Lucas's rough draft of Star Wars. Now, there's a lot of early drafts of Star Wars out there. Um, The Starkiller script site is a great place to get copies of them. I've actually read and even summarized for the Star Wars timeline gold in the appendices file. If you want to check it out, check out. Uh, StarWarsFanWars.com slash timeline, and when you get the timeline, look at the file with the X in the file name, the appendices. Go down to section O. Um, I've actually had a chance, thanks to that site, to go back and read and summarize these early versions. And there was an early, early story synopsis that wasn't an actual script of Star Wars that was dated as May 25th, 1973, um, that gave us a story set... Uh, in the year 3200 to 3300 A.D., or C.E., as the case may be. Um, but his very, very first draft, uh, generally called the Rough Draft, not even called the first draft of Star Wars, uh, was written or finalized, I guess, in, I guess it was May of 1974. And it is that version, the first fully fleshed-out story, and you can tell because the names like White Whitesun still being Sun. Um, That version is the one that they have turned into this series. Um, Several weird things abound about it. Uh, One, it's Jonathan Rensler, J.W. Rensler, doing the writing on this. And he's generally not a Star Wars comic writer. He usually does the the behind-the-scenes stuff, which in and of itself makes it unusual. We also have artist Mike Mayhew involved, who is doing an incredible job of making it all feel very much sort of like the, the painted photorealistic type stuff a lot of times. It's very, very close to that. He's really capturing the essence um, of the faces of the characters as if he's looking at actual actors and doing a lot of, of modeling based on that. Um, so far, I think the story is, you know, kind of interesting. It's definitely not the Star Wars that we know. And it's kind of weird sometimes as I'm reading it because I remember having read that early, early script when I was going through and doing all the summarizing for the timeline gold and everything. Um, But I'm enjoying it so far. I do find it a little bit odd that here they're taking sort of a bit of a break and the January issue of the series is not going to be issue number five. It's going to be issue number zero, sort of a background of it before in February we get issue number five. Um, But this has been a very cool series. If only to finally see some of these concepts brought to life through Mayhew's Art. I mean, it's one thing to read the story in script form. It's something else to actually get to see a lot of the Macquarie-style um, concept art and other art based on it, based on descriptions in that script, being finally turned into a visual form of storytelling like we get in this comic series. So... And this is kind of like what we're saying with Star Wars Volume 2. It's not like anybody's saying THE Star Wars. How does this fit continuity? Does that mean that A New Hope no longer takes the place the same way it used to because this is the newest comic telling a story in that era? Hell no! Because we know you've told us. In fact, they didn't even have to tell us. It's based on that rough draft. It's a different timeline. An alternate universe sort of version of Star Wars. Why not tell us the same thing for Star Wars Volume 2? But the Star Wars, digging it, but it is kind of weird. This is not your daddy's Star Wars, folks, but I think you'll find it very enjoyable if you have an interest in sort of the early development of the Star Wars saga, and if nothing else, seeing where some names were used well before they became the names that we're used to.
1: See, and I'm taking this one slow. Um, I'm kind of waiting until it all gets together to actually do the read. I just keep going back over it and just looking at the images and stuff, and I I have read... The first few, but then after the second one or so, I've kind of died off on on just dwelling deep into the actual words of everything on paper and just really getting into the images. Because, yeah, the images are great. Uh, One of the concepts that really, really, really just blew my mind was seeing Star Destroyers as two-person craft. I was like, whoa, those are itty-bitty. They look like little A-wings, but they look like Star Destroyers. Uh, when the uh, emperor is speaking, the old style microphone and things like that, these little tiny attention to details here and there, I, I just, I'm really digging that concept. You know, I mean, I, I've mentioned before that Dawn of the Jedi felt like a reboot of star Wars, but this, this is like, you're, you know, this is what could have been. And I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, I, I have seen some of those earlier scripts that you've talked about, but I didn't get too into them cause I didn't want it to, you know, mess with me down the road. But it's interesting to see the, the new twist on some of these characters and stuff and like when the dad uh, when Anakin's dad reveals that he's more machine now than man, I was like, oh, interesting twist. you know I'm, I'm just enjoying it. I can't wait for it to all to end. I, I wasn't even aware that they were doing that break and making a zero one. So we're gonna get nine issues all together in theory unless they do like a 0.2. That too is cool. I, I like a good zero issue they, they're fun yeah. in that regard. So you know this is a fun one. It's definitely something that I think every Star Wars fan should should check out. Just to kind of get that, that feel of what Lucas originally thought Star Wars was going to look about, look like and look about, you know, in that direction. Uh, you know, we, we as, as fans talk about Lucas's vision, the ever changing vision, what his original vision would look like and stuff like that, you know. And I mean, the way canon would normally work, like this would be like your canon, like, you know, but we don't work in that world. And so it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of peek back behind the curtain and see where everything originated from in that regard. And, and it's, it's cool because some things, are familiar, but they've got a new twist and I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I'm looking forward to the ending to see what he had, because it's a fun new ride. And like you said, you know, all they had to do is just flat out say it. Hey, boom, here we got something totally new. It's totally something you've never seen before. And it doesn't matter what we get because we know that it's going to be new. And that's why I like the infinity versions of the stories. When, when Luke dies on Hoth, I mean, I was like, Whoa, Skywalker actually froze to death. Oh, what's that mean? I mean, and even those, like the, the the sad thing about those was each one, you know, it was, it was uh, four, five, and six, but each one was in itself its own universe. And I kind of would have loved to known what would have continued to have happened to Leia as the Luke with Luke dying. Like that would have been a great universe to explore. Uh, you know, those kind of concepts were cool. And, and I like the fact that they're actually willing to do this with this one. I wish they would do it with other ones. I will be totally cool with how they did the tale stories, having another Infinity's line where they did arcs of infinities, where they went back to that four, five, and six and expelled that universe out. Just that here's, you know, this arc of infinities is taking the episode four and we're going to, you know, flush it out. Then we're going to go to another arc or three arcs or whatever. and We're going to flesh out the episode five and and things like that. I would love to see an infinities kind of do what Marvel what if does, you know, and just constantly give us a new twist on things. I think that would be just great because we wouldn't, those of us that are, that are you know, tied to continuity that they want it to connect. This would be our, now I understand what you guys feel like when you're just able to let it go. I mean, you know, I would love to let some of those things go. It just, it's not so easy when you're invested the way you have in the story and you enjoy the story so much and then to have new things come up and they're like, ah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't count. Like, well, you know, Star Wars is a fun story and, you know, this stuff does matter. No, it doesn't matter in the regard of life and death. But it matters to the the integrity of the overall story. You know, when you're sitting here and you're saying this event happens, it should happen. I mean, canon is supposed to be solid in that regard. And and so to be able to have something like this that actually exists out of canon on purpose, it's breathtakingly refreshing.
0: That brings us to the digests this year. Uh, Not very many this time around. We had a couple of Clone Wars ones and one for Ewoks. For the Clone Wars, we had Defenders of the Lost Temple. And the Smuggler's Code, and then we had the launch of what is supposed to now be a series coming, based on Ewoks. That's sort of meant to bridge some Ewok stories together, called Ewoks: Shadows of Endor. Um, Mark, did you check out any of these three?
1: I do have uh, Defenders of the Lost Temple. Uh, that was pretty cool. I the, the cover immediately drew drew me in. It showed a clone trooper. He was kind of like knocked down. He had a lightsaber in his hand. I was like, "Ooh, what's this?" um you know it it was kind of a fun little read um you know the the clone wars digests were something that that as i was collecting my stuff that was one of the ones that i was going to get later so i haven't gotten many of them i've been picking them up here and there when the price is right i'm i'm trying not to pay full price for them because they're so much older for the most part but these newer ones and stuff came out i was like oh, I, I better get that one smuggler's code no hadn't seen it uh don't know too much about that Though the Ewoks and the Shadow of Endor, that's interesting that you say it's going to be a continued series. I'm wondering, are they going to bring in some of these ones that aren't in print anymore? Maybe throw in some of those in addition to the newer stories to get them all together? Or are they just going to continue to do like what they're doing with the omnibuses and collect those later in the omnibus formats? Because I I know that the Ewoks and the droid stuff, there's a lot of that stuff, I think, in the UK that never made it to the US in a published form, if I'm not mistaken.
0: You know, I don't, There was basically, there was the one, I guess it was an Ewoks annual that never wound up seeing publication over here, but I think the rest of it pretty much has. Although, I would say, as one of the things tying into this year, uh, there was the My Comic stuff from uh, 1986 from Editorial Getspa, which was this uh, Spanish language, as in Spain, not Latin America, uh, this uh, Spanish series that seemed to possibly be official, maybe, maybe not, they can't quite trace the pedigree series, that had uh, some very, very short droids and Ewoks comics, some of which fit continuity, some of which didn't seem to, based on the the cartoons and the uh, Marvel Star comics, those actually this year were translated into English, uh, well, scanned, translated into English, eventually put online and featured on the Star Wars blog by a combined effort of Rich Hanley, Abel Pena, Eddie Van der Heiden and Mike Beidler we talk about a dream team when it comes to those who find obscure Star Wars stories and manage to put them out there um, that was something that was something that hadn't existed uh, in the US prior to that but I don't think there's much in the way of the early Marvel stuff that is still um, hanging out there for those. I would say of these uh, the Clone Wars digests you know sometimes they hit the mark sometimes they don't. there's little standalone stories it's the only thing really that was left. Once the ongoing, supposedly, uh, Clone Wars series died off, and so did the novel spinoffs died off. Um, you know, where the Clone Wars cartoon series got its own spinoffs, but they didn't last for very long. Um, in this case, both of these are alright. None of the ones that are spinoffs in the digest form for Clone Wars are all that stupendous. They're not bad, but they don't tend to affect much of anything. So those are decent little reads, particularly Defenders of the Lost Temple having sort of a moral to the story and whatnot. Ewok Shadows of Endor actually kind of surprised me because it's it's good at bridging the gap between the cartoon series and the Ewok telemovies. Basically, what you've got is there's a Star Comics series of Ewoks, or Star Comics uh, comic book series from Marvel, which take place prior to the Ewok cartoons. That's the one that has that lost-in-time thing that ties into the droids comics from Star. And then you've got... The My comic stuff from Spain, which seems to interweave at least somewhat with those. Then you have two scenes of the Ewok cartoon series where they're vastly different. They sort of sucked the soul out of the series for season two and made something very, very different to make it even more goofy and kiddy for the little kids. Uh, and then you had the Ewok telemovies. And the time frames in which these are all supposed to take place have been shuffled around a little bit over the years. But the assumption had been, well, they're between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. No problem at all. And Shadows of Indor comes in, uh, brings in Charle from Battle for Indor, which manages to pin her down as a Sister of Dathomir. They flat out have her say it, instead of it just being something from a guidebook. It shows us why the Sunstar Shadowstone doesn't have enough energy to actually help during the Battle of Endor, when that was one of the big, wait a second, if this is so powerful, why didn't it get used in Return of the Jedi? Why is it just a, a, a cartoon thing? basically, for Ewoks, and shows the development of some of the characters and why even the Dulocs are not around for Return of the Jedi, why they're essentially scattered and not a big force to be reckoned with at the time, despite the fact they were kind of stupid in the first place. Um, the big issue of that, though, for continuity fans is that that story, which is meant to take place um, basically, uh, I guess it's between the events of uh, the cartoon series and the telemovies, is eight months prior to Return of the Jedi. Because they tell the main part of that story, then say eight months later, and show Wicket finding Leia and what he was doing at the time that he happened to have run into Leia. So now we've got a definitive date for that particular Ewok story. But because it is where it is, it's led to some confusion a little bit. Basically, you might know that The Empire Strikes Back is not one year before Return of the Jedi. It is not exactly three years after A New Hope either. Because Galaxy Wide News Nets, back in the old Adventure Journal, gave us a month date for The Empire Strikes Back. And whereas A New Hope is three months into the year, into the year as far as the digital dating system goes, it's in uh, 35 colon 3. Empire is in 38 colon 6. Okay? It is three months later in its year than... A New Hope is within its calendar year, based on that old dating system, um, the Great re- Resynchronization dating system and whatnot. But then you've got Return to Jedi, and its month was never really set in stone. And when the time came for us to do the Essential Atlas and give a starting date for each of the movies on their respective maps, I was given the opportunity and the authority, uh, with Leland Chi's approval, of course, to set an in-universe date, for Return of the Jedi for when it officially starts in terms of not just its year, but its month and because of the fact that a while back in the early days of Star Wars EU publishing most books were being touted not as how far they were after the Battle of Yavin but how long they were after Return of the Jedi. We had stuff like the X-Wing books that are said to be two and a half years after Return of the Jedi that then were later said to be six and a half years after the events of A New Hope. Now since that was a point five and would make a difference in terms of the number of months involved here uh, into its year, that made the decision very easy for me and for Leland to basically say, okay, Return of the Jedi is basically in the same month of its year that A New Hope was. You know, it kind of would make sense. 9-11 and other anniversaries being targeted by terrorists. You could sort of see Palpatine being someone who would love to screw with the rebels, and if he could, do something on an anniversary so that that defeat was made even more uh, emotionally impactful on the Rebel Alliance uh, because it happened to be four years almost to the day after the big battle of Yavin that was their first gigantic victory against the Empire and such. Uh, as such though, what that means is that with A New Hope in month three, with Return of the Jedi in month three, but with Empire in month six, there's actually only nine months separating the events of Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And this story being set eight months before Return of the Jedi means that you only have a month after Empire Strikes Back before this takes place. So the assumption is that it's not that these stories with the Ewoks were necessarily meant to take place in that nine-month period, so much as when they say 3 ABY, they literally mean 3 ABY. So there are three months worth of Ewok stories before Empire, then one month after Empire, then Shadows of Endor, and then somewhere between that and Return of the Jedi is when those telemovies fit into it. So there's been a little bit of shuffling around of what we sort of have to assume about the Ewok stories, unless they all wind up taking place within the span of one month, which is essentially impossible, um, in order to make all the different dates for the Ewok stuff make sense in light of Shadows of Endor. But it's not so much that it's causing a reshuffling that was contradictory, so much as just something that had never really been set in stone down to the month before, and now it kind of has been or at least we've been given a dividing line within the year in which to make sure these stories are set. My assumption at this point is basically that you've got the Star Comics stuff and Season 1 taking place before Empire Strikes Back in those three months, and then you've got Season 2 probably taking place after the Empire Strikes Back in that month before Shadows of Endor comes around. But that's you know just kind of an assumption at this point. But at least we've got a date within the year that now gives us some ranges of when these Ewok stories can take place. I know, I know, super, super nerdy, and if you're not big into chronology, you don't give a crap. But this is a big deal, given how much those stories have been shuffled around in the past, to have something this clearly delineated finally when it comes to Ewoks. And to have Ewoks back and some of the continuity issues between the cartoon series, the telemovies, and the films finally being resolved. Um, I'm eager to see where this goes as long as it doesn't create more problems than it's solving.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Moving from there, we've got our trade paperbacks. Um, You know. To me, it comes down to what are you collecting here? I mean, if you're going to get singles, then you're probably going to want to stick with singles. If you're getting the trade paperbacks, you're going to want to stick with those. Omnibuses, I I really think if you are just getting into comics, that's the the medium you really want to get. You're going to get more for your money for the most part in that regard. Uh, So when it comes to these, you know, you really got to look at what you want. You know, what do you want on your shelf? What do you enjoy most when it comes to reading these kind of things? And so forth like that. Uh, We've got blood ties. Boba Fett is dead. Uh, That was a fun little ride. The art was uh, a little, I want to say kind of waxy looking. Um, I I didn't mind it. It was, it was a unique little twist on things. We have uh, Connor, which is a, another uh, son of another clone of Django uh, and, and the tie in between Django and Boba and how all that plays out. I thought it was an interesting little story. Uh, We have the omnibus for infinities, which we've talked about here. Um, You know, I, I just like the infinities. It's a great concept. Uh, the omnibus for Wild Space Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, I'm actually I'm looking to get those at some point because I have none of those comics. It would be great to get a hold of. Um, and we've got Legacy has got its first book. Uh, book 1 has got 0, zero and, a half, and 1 through 19 all collected in it. Books are always fun. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this in the past, but I've got the uh, 30th anniversary hardcovers that Dark Horse Comics put out. There was, uh, I think, 12 of them all together, and it was a one-time thing. It was like, we're only doing this one time, and we're only going to make as many as you guys order right now, and we are never going to reprint them again. So I made sure I got one of every one of them. And, you know, it, the hardcover ones in this regard are really fun. Um, another one that they've done later was uh, Luke Skywalker, uh, Last Hope of the Galaxy or something like that, or A New Hope of the Galaxy. Uh, it's a big, big, thick brown uh, black one that slides into its own sleeve. I've got that one as well. I love comics in the hardcovers. They just, I don't know, something about it just really makes me feel like I'm, I'm sitting down with something that's going to take me a long time to read. And typically they do. Uh, You know, you grab a single issue comic, you can have it done in, in a matter of moments, but once you grab a trade, it gets a little longer, and you grab an omnibus, now you're looking at 400-something pages. Books are along the same regard. And then, of course, it's a hardcover, so you've got that added awesomeness as well, but the price is a little higher. So again, it gets back to what are you wanting in this regard. Uh, We also have trade paperbacks for Age of the Empire Hard Targets, as well as Dawn of the Jedi, Prisoner of Bogan. And the Omnibus for KOTOR Volume 1 and 2, which excites me because I've been waiting for these series to start to hit Omnibus. Uh, And then we've got the trade paperback for Star Wars Volume 2, In the Shadow of Yavin. Um, You know, Most of these, if you want to know what we think about those, you can check out the old stuff. For me, this, I'm just going to say it comes down to the format you like to read it and digest it. That would be if you would want to get it.
0: Yeah, these are always kind of the oddball of the year because I don't generally pick these up in trades most of the time, or in Omnibus format most of the time. Unless it's the old Marvel reprint stuff, quite frankly. Um, Blood times Boba Fett is dead. Uh, good story, fun story. Um, one that we have covered here on the show before. Omnibus Infinities, definitely check that one out if you didn't check out the Infinity series beforehand. Those what-if stories were some of the coolest, weird Star Wars stuff of their time. Uh, I particularly am fond of the uh, Infinities A New Hope. But Infinity's Empire is pretty decent, Infinity's Return of the Jedi is actually quite good as well. That's that source of that uh, uh, controversial armor color for Vader mm. at one point. Uh, the Wild Space Omnibi, I actually have the first one of these. I'm debating whether or not to get the second one, because for me, I try to collect stuff as individual single issues. But in this case, that one had some stuff that had never been reprinted in the United States from Marvel UK and whatnot in there. Uh, so I picked those up just like I picked up the other Marvel stuff so I wouldn't ruin my old Marvel single issues. Uh, volume 2, though, number 1 was a, a definite purchase. I was hugely excited for that, picked that up. Volume 2, meh. It's stuff, yeah, that it's tougher to come by, but it's not exactly stuff that was hard to find in their day or that you couldn't find on eBay or something at this point. Really, the only thing that stands out to me in Wildspace Volume 2 that I might want to pick it up for is Pod Racing Tales, which were stories that were originally told online only that at one point I just printed out that were never in print form until now. But. That's it. Everything else in there is stuff that we've certainly seen before uh, as single issues and that sort of thing. So, yeah, on volume two, but definitely check out volume one, especially if you're into the really, really early Star Wars stuff that wasn't collected elsewhere. Star Wars 3D, for instance, from Blackthorn Publishing and stuff like that. A lot of this stuff is all stuff that was covered in my From the Star Wars Library series, which is back now, by the way, covering the 1990s stuff at this point. Um, Legacy Book One includes an issue zero and a half. And uh, issues 1 through 19, if at this point you still haven't checked out the original Legacy with Cade Skywalker, which is my favorite Star Wars comic bar none of all time, you really owe it to yourself to take the time to check that out. And Mark and I have been covering that here on the show as we're building up to Vector. So you've heard our thoughts on it. You can pick it up and see what all the hubbub is about. Age of the Empire Hard Targets, already talked about that earlier, but that is a trade paperback release of IT. Same thing with Dawn of the Jedi, Prisoner of Bogan. Uh, We also have Volumes 1 and 2 of the KOTOR, Knights of the Old Republic omnibus series, which is cool. Another thing we've been covering here on the show, if you're interested in picking them up for a bargain price, that's a great way to do that. And we have uh, the first volume, at least, of uh, Star Wars Volume 2 in The Shadow of Yavin, which we already talked about, also getting its trade paperback release. And before we go, there are a couple of quick things to probably mention here, albeit not ones to really give a whole lot of focus to. There's an issue I wanted to bring up with Mark as far as those variant comics and that kind of thing is concerned. Um, I already mentioned the My Comic thing. That was something that hit online this year. If you're interested in those old Spanish droids and Ewoks things, the translations are out there. You can get them for free uh, off of the websites so of, I think it was Rich Hanley's website, uh, and I think Abel Pena's website as well, but check the Star Wars blog. You'll be able to find that. Um, there were also, and... If I didn't mention this in my comic, Luke Van Horn would be very upset with me. Uh, There were also Lego Star Wars comics in the official Lego magazine. I personally don't follow those. I know there are some that do. But interestingly, some of the more recent ones actually fill in the gaps and connect the three different Star uh, Lego Star Wars The Yoda Chronicles specials that were aired on Cartoon Network. We'll talk about those in our next episode when we cover the other stuff, which includes uh, video productions. And I know we already talked about magazines and such. I think I mentioned the Clone Wars magazine last time around, at least briefly. Uh, Clone Wars magazine does include two different Star Wars comics each time around, so those would fall under this comic heading. Though in general, you can pretty much skip those. Some of the art is great. Some of the art is absolutely atrocious. Looks like it was drawn by a little kid instead of four little kids. But uh, there are some that stand out as pretty nifty little stories. They had one in a recent issue. That basically was Ahsoka and Barris stuck in a series of caves for a little bit where they come across these small little furry creatures, kind of like Furbies, that it turns out have their own religion, albeit they're only sort of semi-sentient but seem to have their own very, very primitive religion. They try to escape and uh, get these creatures out of the battlefield so they don't get killed, only for them to wind up on a gunship that crashes and all of them but one or two die anyway. And there's oh. an interesting comment from Barris of how the Jedi are taught to deal with emotions like anger and hate and such. But how do we deal with guilt? When do they teach us about that? Which I thought was kind of cool given what winds up happening with Barris as we get into the last story arc of Clone Wars Season 5. Um, there's also a story that tells us how Boba Fett gets that uh, particular helmet that he's wearing in uh, the arc in which he is working with Asajj Ventress back and I guess it was Season 4 um, right around the time of all that uh, Darth Maul Returns type of stuff. So some of it's worthwhile, some of it's meh at this point, and I wonder how long that magazine is going to continue in this form because uh, Eddie Vanderheiden, I think it was, just posted an interesting picture for the UK version of the Clone Wars magazine, which is also by Titan. Uh, a lot of the comics that are coming over here were reprinted from ones in the UK, although they haven't reprinted all of them yet. Um, but the most recent issue or the upcoming issue of that in the UK has a little thing in the back advertising the next issue as a new issue based on a new cartoon series. It seems like. I'm assuming they're going to make it like a Rebels magazine, but it looks like the Clone Wars magazine as the Clone Wars magazine is ending in the UK. you got to figure it's going to happen sometime soon in the US. Uh, I'm wondering when they're going to announce it, if at all, and hopefully at some point, if they do announce that and they don't continue to reprint the Clone Wars comics that they still haven't reprinted from the UK yet, that someday we'll get those in some form or another. It would be very Unfortunate if those last few stories never saw print in the U.S. At this point, I've just been lucky. I've got a couple of friends uh, who live overseas who have been able to scan those and send it over here, um, so that I can put them on the Star Wars timeline. Goal people like uh, Luke Van Horn, uh, Laura Kobo and such, um, who've just kind of helped me step or helped step in to make sure that those didn't wind up being forgotten when I was putting stuff together for the timeline. But I'd hate for them to be forgotten for general U.S. audiences, thanks to just a publishing change happening, you know? Mm -hmm. The last thing, though, that I wanted to discuss, and this comes down to a a pet peeve that really frustrated me back in the 1990s, and I wanted to get Mark's take on this as well. Mm. This was a year of big stuff for Star Wars. One of the things you saw back in the 90s, though, was a lot of different gimmicky covers. Hey, let's put a hologram on this cover. Hey, let's do embossing on this one. Hey, let's make it metallic looking, and so on and so on. And uh, We saw this even with the Star Wars comics around the time of the Phantom Menace. The Phantom Menace uh, adaptation, I think the adaptation of some of the other Star Wars films, uh, those Episode 1 adventures, stories, not the the little kids RPG ones, but the comic ones from Dark Horse. It was, here's an artistic cover. Now here's another variant that has a photo cover, and so on and so on. They went to extremes this year, it seems like, with Star Wars variant covers. They did some things like San Diego Comic-Con exclusive covers of different stories, um, and they'll tend to do that from time to time. And they did some uh, general variants like they did with uh, the first issue of The Star Wars. There's multiple variants by different artists, and there's some that you can only get in certain places. Okay, fine. But in the shadow of Yavin, number one through four, but especially number one, This went too far for me. The first four issues of that series got insanely, insanely rare, hard to get, extremely expensive on eBay and such, because you had to get like 30 regular comics to get even one for your comic shop, sketch covers by Alex Ross for each of those first four issues. Issue number one got a first printing, newsstand, and digital uh, edition, or I guess newsstand and direct market edition that had a digital copy of the comic in it, uh, a little code for it, but then you had a second printing, third printing, and fourth printing. Of the first printing, you also had a Hastings variant, a game Sp- uh, GameStop variant, like, you know, the video game store that you could only get with rewards from their power-up rewards thing that really ticked off a lot of people. I wound up being able to get a couple because I had a lot of rewards, kept one, sold one uh, to a buddy. Um, but then you also had Dynamic Forces coming in and saying, hey, we're going to have multiple different printings of this book with... Alex Ross, or Brian Wood as the case may be, I think it was always Alex Ross, uh, signing it. But see, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have different levels of rarity based on what color of pen he used to sign the issue. There's the gold pin, there's the silver pin, and there's the black pen, And they all have different levels of rarity, and they all get different numbered limited editions, all with increasingly escalating prices depending on what color he signed with and how many we're going to put out of that. And then they top it off eventually with one of those one-for-one-dollar issues. There are more individual variants, as far as I know, of Star Wars Volume 2 Number 1 than of any other Star Wars comic ever. And that, to me, is frustrating because it makes, for the collectors, it makes it frustrating. I usually don't collect variants. That one had enough hype. I thought maybe these things might be worth something someday. So I went ahead and picked up all of them except the dynamic forces and the sketch cover one. At that point, I was like, you know what? I spent way too much money on this. Screw it. But it just sort of seems like going to that well and just absolutely exploiting the living crap out of it in a way that may have made them money and made their partners money. But a lot of times I feel like that kind of thing is just not good for fans. You know, it it just feels like if you're a collector out there and, you know, you collect variants at all, collecting one or two variants, that's one thing, you know, and it doesn't happen all the time. But having a comic come around where there's like, what, 10, 15, whatever it is, different variants, some of which are insanely expensive to get your hands on, that feels like it's basically saying, you know what? We are now, instead of being Dark Horse doing Star Wars comics, we are now 1990s Image comics. We are 1990s Marvel comics. Screw you all. We're just going to milk this thing for all that it's worth. From a business standpoint, if it makes money, I guess it makes sense. From a fan relations standpoint, it seems like a pretty dickish thing to
1: do. Yeah, it definitely seems like it turned a lot of people's heads away from the variants. Um, and, And you have to question like what, what really makes a gold colored permanent marker worth more than the silver one or the black one? I mean, they're all purchased at the store for the same price. They're all putting the same amount of ink down on that cover. I mean, who decides then that one's worth more than the other? I mean, when it comes to this kind of collecting and you go to try to resell it, you're only going to get what you're going to get the person to buy it for. So, I mean, that that that's totally feels like it was a total scam because it was like they they did it in stages enough that no one realized that they were flooding the market with basically crap. And if they would, maybe, you know, well, like you, for example, you stopped once you realized, hey, wait, this is looking a little gimmicky here. And what the heck are you guys doing? Uh, you know, I mean, maybe if they'd have had like something special about these covers, aside from just the ink, that that one really pushes the limit right there. It's like, wait, you've got how many in, in one color and how many in another and and who decides what color is worth more? I mean, that, that just that, that seems like a very greedy uh, a way to go about it. Um, you know, I, I honestly think a variant cover, when you do variant covers, you should have two, maybe four tops. Three would be a good number to select. You know, or maybe do three on one that gets reprinted or something, you know, like, hey, we got a reprint. Let's do the third variant, you know, something like that. Um, I know that when it comes to variants, some are worth more money. Uh When I got my very first variant that I went and paid money for, I bought a $30 Venom Gold back when Venom Lethal Protector came out. And my local comic shop, Iguana Comics, had uh, a black and the gold version as well as the standard red version that came out with it. And the black version was like 75 something bucks at the time. and Oh, man, I want it. It looked glorious. Uh, but I got the gold one, which is funny because you would think, you know, the gold would be more expensive than the black. But not in this case. That wasn't the way it worked. Uh, the gold one, I got it for 30 bucks and like right away it jumped up to like 140 bucks. And that that was up there for like maybe four years they kept putting out Venom comics and stuff and slowly that desire for that price dropped. Now I could get, I could sell for about what I paid for it originally and probably even less. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it gets back to what a person's going to buy. So, you know, it does kind of feel like they were real shady in the way that they were presenting a lot of this stuff. And, you know, hands down, I think that's got to have hurt them in the long run because they do that again. And I can guarantee you, they're not going to get the sales they got on this first one. Uh, and, and, Part of that, I'm sure, had to go into that whole building up the hype of Star Wars Volume 2, which may have made more sense if, like you were saying earlier in this episode, if they were actually legitimately planning on making it a reboot. That would have made a little more sense on having a lot of these covers, because now you're getting a number one cover of a rebooted Star Wars. I mean, that actually is worth more money than Volume 2 by itself as just something that's going through and kicking continuity in the cojones. Uh, You know, so yeah, I'm with you. I think it it was a bad idea to get that greedy with just changing out pens and stuff like that. I mean, because the covers are the same. You know, when the cover is the same, it's not really a variant, you you know? (laughs) I mean, it is a variant cover, but you've got like five different versions of ink going on it. That cover is still the same. Nothing is changing but the color of the ink. That is shady. All
0: right, now I think we're good to wrap up. We just need to do the contest
1: thing, right? Yeah, I was going to lead into that. Alright, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films, but we do have more contest goodness for you. That's right, we're still continuing our month-long contest giveaways. Nathan, what do we have for them this week?
0: Well, this time we delve into another science fiction franchise that I've had the pleasure to be a part of at this point. Um, Coming from my own collection, we have two things up for grabs this time, but we are giving them away together. Um, You may be aware that one of the franchises I've had a chance to write for is Wars. That is Wars, uh, capital W, capital A, capital R, capital S. But no, it doesn't stand for something. It's not an acronym. It's a series based on the old Wars trading card game and role-playing game from, uh, Decipher Inc. and Mongoose Publishing. And we're doing basically a prequel series to this. It'll wind up being nine novellas total by the time that it's done. And I had the pleasure of writing the first and second Earthers novellas, which are essentially uh, two out of those nine stories. I wrote Healers and Hunters first, and then I wrote On Red Soil. Well, what they've done is they've taken the first three, or you could say the first volume from each of the three factions. We have Earthers, Ganjan, which is Mars, and the Mavericks, which is sort of the, the pirate-type folks out there. They've taken the first three books of this series, or the first volume of each of the three factions, and made them into the Wars, the Battle of Phobos, Volume 1, Preludes, paperback. And then they're doing the same thing. They've got uh, Streddy out there. Volume 2 Streddy has the second of the volumes in it. Well, with Preludes, one of the things was that they put out sort of an initial version of this, and then very shortly thereafter had a chance to have a much cooler looking cover made for it that was more in keeping with the cover that was being made for the second volume. And they took the original one out of print and along with any copy-editing things that they decided to tweak, a little bit format things to tweak, and that new cover put out the currently available Wars of the Battle of Phobos Volume 1 prelude. And this is a book that has my first story, Healers and Hunters, in it, along with Sean E. Williams' story for the Gonge inside The Great Journey, and Jim Perry, fellow Star Wars fan and Star Wars podcaster Jim Perry, of uh, The Adventures of Indiana Jim and the things are looking up, and uh, Th- Thesis A Fantasy, that audio parody of Star Wars fandom out there, uh, Jim Perry's first story, Firefight at Overwatch Command. Uh, he is doing the Mavericks faction here. What's up for grabs this time is both versions of Wars of Battle of Phobos Volume 1 Preludes. Both the out-of-print original edition, and the currently in-print one with that new, more dynamic cover art this time. Uh, so, to enter to win these, you want to send an email to us. It is SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Send us with the body of the email being your name and mailing address. Make sure you have your full mailing address in there just in case you win this so we can ship the prize out to you. And you want to put as your subject line Preludes so we know which contest you are trying to enter. And don't forget, there are other contests we have out there going. List to the end of our previous few episodes, uh, from 100 up to now to see what those things are and to hear the instructions about how to send those in. We are, uh, about, at this point with recording, we're about, uh, two weeks, a little less than two weeks away from starting to draw the winners in these contests here. So far we got up for grabs what we've got, uh, Mercy Kill. We've got Crucible in terms of Star Wars. We've got, uh, a copy of my novel Greater Good signed, And then we've got these two. And yes, if you do happen to be the one who wins both of these Volume 1 Preludes Wars, the Battle of Phobos uh, soft cover collected editions, I will sign both editions for you if desired, personalized or otherwise. I'll get in touch with the winner before putting the package together to be shipped out and such. So send those entries in, make sure the subject line says Preludes, and good luck to everyone.
1: Now that wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing in the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. Facebook's pages are best way of interacting with you guys uh it's our home one if you will not only can you post comments to us about the show we love interacting with you fellow fans so if you have any star wars and or eu questions or you just want to comment about a past episode fire off and you can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com
0: also remember that you can go ahead and start getting involved with the upcoming show we've got coming, which is Rebels Roundtable. To discuss Rebels, it is sort of a combination of the teams of Star Wars Beyond the Films and the team from Republic Forces Radio Network. You can check that out at Facebook.com slash Rebels Roundtable or on Twitter at Rebels Round. Uh, while you're there, also check out the Star Wars Timeline Gold's page on Facebook, Facebook.com slash SW Gold. If you want to check out that Amazon store that my wife and I run, it is Amazon.com slash shops slash Lil Collectibles. All is one word, L-I-L-J-O Collectibles. And if you're interested in those videos that I mentioned early on, uh, the From the Star Wars Home Video Library or From the Star Wars Library, you can find those on YouTube. Just search for the titles.
1: Or just click on the link at the bottom of this post. It's on the bottom of every of our posts right there. We're looking at the play button. Uh, Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanding Universe or any other genre without being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Sing. Thanks for listening, and may the force be with you.
0: And don't quote us the odds that they will finally announce Star Wars Volume 2 as always intended to be a reboot. Crossing my fingers.
1: Ooh, I like the odds of that.